It's been partnering with him, doing what we just did. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble from Africa to Europe. Come on to the nations. God is doing a new thing. So I'm a church planter at heart, which is why I love that you're in a series right now called Keep It Dead from the book of Galatians. There's a few reasons why. Firstly, Paul wrote it. The original Paul, not me, I'm the knockoff. He's the original Paul. And the original church planter. I mean, he is the quintessential pioneer church planter who takes the good news of Jesus and he takes it to the non-Jewish world. See, up until this time, when Jesus came, I heard somebody say once the ground is level at the foot of the cross, no, no longer, you know, Greek or, or Jew, no more male or female slave or free. So the gospel breaks out and Paul takes it to the rest of the world. The Jews had always been God's special people. It was us and everyone else, the Jews and the, they called everybody else the Gentiles. And then Paul takes the gospel, the good news, that's what gospel means, good news. He takes it to the church in the region of Galatia and he writes these letters. That's what much of the New Testament is, these letters. Sometimes we call them epistles to the church in Corinth or Thessalonica or Ephesus or Rome and each of these letters tells you a few things. It tells you how much Paul loves these communities of faith. And it tells you how different they are, their strengths, the challenges that they're facing, what they're going through. And so Paul, as the church planter, he'd gone there, he'd preached the gospel, and he writes to these people that he knew and loved. He'd broken bread with them, shared the good news with them, seen them become Christ's followers. But then word comes to him after he's left, They've started to give up on the good news of the gospel. He's devastated. They drifted from the good news and they traded their freedom in Christ for legalism. People had followed him behind Paul when he was gone and started to tell people, oh, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta obey the law. They start to bring in all the old Jewish law and tradition again. But who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed, right? They had a, a choice to make, and the, these, these people are trying to bring them back under the law, including circumcision. Paul's so mad about it. I mean, it's right here in the Bible. I kid you not. You can't make this stuff up. He writes, I wish those circumcisers would go all the way and castrate themselves. It's right there in the Bible. It's amazing, right? <laughs> He's so mad. Don't give up your freedom. Don't sell out. Follow Jesus, he's saying. And then he says in Galatians 5, he says, you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but, 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 right? Freedom comes with this caveat. See, some of us, we don't know what to do with freedom. We use it for all the wrong things. This is what he says freedom should be used for. He says, don't use your freedom to satisfy your, your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, if you want to fulfill the law, forget all of that. Forget what went before. Christ came to fulfill the law. And now he says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you were always biting at and devouring one another, this, is, this was 2,000 years ago. It's like social media, right? It's the same thing. Biting at and devouring one another. It used to happen too. Watch out, beware of destroying one another. So Paul, writing to the Galatian people, three times in three verses uses the phrase one another. 
That's what our freedom's supposed to be pointed towards building. It's not selfish and carnal and sinful. I ought to use my freedom for one another, for one another. And in the middle of it, he says, it's all about loving your neighbor. In other words, it's all about what I want to speak on today, which is community. If you're taking notes today, my title would be this in your series, Community, Keep Isolation Dead. Isolation is not God's best for you. Isolation is not the way of the kingdom. Isolation is out to destroy you. I want to show you from Scripture today something that I've learned in 30 years now of following Jesus. I've learned something really important. In good seasons, in tough seasons, in it all and through it all, I have learned this one thing. We need each other. And if there's any part of you that thinks, oh no, I came on like basic Sunday, all right, but the problem is, I'm just calling it out, right? It's like, oh, I love each other, darn it, I should have come next week. Uh, here's the thing, is common sense that common? No. And isn't it the basic stuff we don't actually do? I mean, let's just step back for a minute, just think about 2020. Actually, maybe that's not. Uh, <laughs> But really, let's look at 2020. Let's think about how we're watching followers of Jesus navigating the year that was and ask ourselves the question, are we still acting like we need each other, that we're a community, that biting and devouring each other is a problem? No, I think we've completely lost our minds in many ways and we need to come back to the very simple thing. It's all about community. You were not designed to do this life alone and I know that from the beginning of the Bible. First book of the Bible, creation is Genesis, right? Chapter one, God creates the heavens and the earth and so on, and he says at the end of it all, it is good. And amen, it is good. But a chapter later, he says it's not good. After creating Adam, he looks at Adam and he says, it is not good, dot, 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 for man to be alone, <laughs> right? It's not all bad. He makes a very specific point. Hey, mankind, man, woman, you as human beings, you're not meant to do this life alone. Hey, creation's good, but it is not good for man to be alone. I believe that's true still today. We gotta leave isolation dead. It's not God's best for us. You weren't designed to live life alone. You weren't designed to flourish and to thrive alone. And you certainly were not designed to fulfill your God-given potential alone. You actually, you can't, we need each other. And yet in Western society, we kind of idolize the individual we buy into the lie, the myth of the self-made man or woman, and it's not God's way. You know, we've discovered a through line. Whether you're talking downtown Manhattan or sunny Florida, as they say every time they do part of our church news, they're trying to poach people from New York all the time. My Florida pastors are relentless, <laughs> pointing out how sunny it is, <laughs> especially in winter. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. I do put myself on the roster to preach there quite often in winter. <laughs> It's one of the advantages of being the boss, right? But whether it's St. Pete or New York or downtown London or Manzini in Eswatini, a little kingdom in Southern Africa where we have a Liberty Church community, you know what they all have in common? Everywhere, human beings crave community. It's just who we are. Regardless of our place or our generation or our culture, there's something within us that craves authentic community. And so I'm hoping to remind us of the beauty and the wisdom of God's design today. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, community 
is the essential form of the church. If you boil it all down, I believe community is the essence of what church is. There's all different Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching, life-giving churches out there with different styles, right? Larger and smaller and some emphasize this and some emphasize that, but these are Christ-honoring, down-the-middle, Bible-believing churches, right, that are different. And I think that's good. I know I say in New York all the time to our church, it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people, right? But there's a commonality that runs through them all. It's all about community. Now, I know that to be true because that's the actual definition of church, and I want to show it to you in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus had asked, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter had famously responded, you're the Christ. And and then Jesus says this, Matthew 16. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, now here's the phrase, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Another famous translation says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But there's this phrase in the middle there, I will build my church. A few important things here. Jesus said, I'm going to build it. I'm going to build, I will build my church. Like we get to partner with him, but we're junior partners. It's very clear. He will build his church, right? And whose church is it? Not ours. No matter what name's over the door, I mean, amen to all of that. Our church has a name too, but at the end of the day, it's his. <laughs> you know, I'm in charge for a minute, but I'm like middle management. Basically, I'm a steward. You know, it's his, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus said, I will build my, but the, the real breakdown is not who's building it and whose it is. The real breakdown is the word church, funnily enough. You think, this is crazy. I've come to a church and you're gonna talk to me about church. What is a church? Well, You'd be amazed how wrong we are when we think what Jesus might have meant when he said church. Because for one thing, he didn't say church. He actually wasn't preaching in English, so there's a thought, right? (laughs) So so everything we're getting here has gone through some translation, right? And they're being true and they're being prayerful. But this might be one of those words where I think, man, I kind of wish they picked a different word for us. Because the original word, the Greek word was ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's ecclesia? Well, when you go Google the word, you'll find definitions like this. Ecclesia is a gathering. Ecclesia is a company of believers. An ecclesia is a people, an assembly, or a community. Now, every one of those definitions means the same thing. It's people together. That's what it is. Whether you call us a company or a people, an assembly, a community, whatever you call it, it's about people together. This is important because we think when I say church, most of us 2,000 years later have all this other stuff going on. We're thinking buildings and ministries and names and denominations, all of this stuff going on. When Jesus said this, he was like, I am going to build my people together. And the gates of hell will not prevail against my community, assembly, my company of believers. It's about people. Now, centuries later, they bring the Bible into English. This is sort of a pity. Instead of picking one of those words where we would have known what Jesus meant, they make up a word, church, which was not a word. They, They went to German, Kirk. 
They went to the Celtic, Cirque. Both of those words were about circular physical places of pagan worship, also unfortunate. And they make up a word, church. So do you wonder why, when it's baked into the English language, that for centuries, we think of a building when Jesus was talking about something else. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was not kicking off a capital campaign. I will build my buildings, and they're gonna be awesome. No, it's gonna be about people. Now, I make fun. Churches can have buildings. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's not be distracted about what the church is. Because in the truest sense, you didn't go to church today. You are the church. You're the church. Same reason why in New York, we didn't say we were reopening. We said we were regathering. It's like, we're people. We weren't closed. We were out being the church when we got to gather again. Amen. I love the gathering, but we're the church. (laughs) I know this because the minute he launches this thing, the church, the book of Acts records what the church does. Acts 22, 44 says, all the believers were together. Here it is. It's the believers together. That's the church. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now listen to this. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So there's a radical, unforced generosity that occurs. It's just right out of their hearts. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. How would you like that? Every day. It's like, we struggle with once a week. Every day. (laughs) And then listen to this. They gather in the temple courts. (laughs) Too soon. Uh, It says they broke bread in their homes. So this is cool. So all at once, there's like the, the collective gathering. But then there's this sense of community within even the four walls of my home. They broke bread. I love that. Anybody read the five love languages? I have a theory that there's six. Food. How is food? How is food not a love language? I'm republishing that. I'll probably get sued. (laughs) They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then listen. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved in temple courts, and in homes. So here's the risk, I think, in a year like 2020. Pandemic and strife and a contentious election, everything else that's going on, is we could forget that following Jesus is not a solo mission. We could do, I think it's sort of unfortunate to me, it's a language choice, I'm a words guy, right? It's a language choice. It was unfortunate to me that they called it social distancing. Like, why couldn't we have called it Physical distancing, because that's what we're really talking about. We're trying to slow the spread of a disease. But unfortunately, social distancing is kind of what a lot of people got. But isolation is a dangerous thing, right? Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. It's not wise to isolate ourselves. And look, I can empathize. I'm not trying to be judgy. I've had that instinct. Every one of us has, if we're honest. Fear comes in, whatever reason, we tend to isolate ourselves, right? Or hurt. Somebody hurt us. Something hurt us. Somebody said something or didn't say something. I'm hurt. It's the easier instinct to to isolate myself. Just get tired. That'll do it. Just tired. Tired of the struggle. Tired of the change. Tired of uncertainty. Tired of keeping on going. We can easily isolate ourselves. You know, but I, 
There's a danger in isolation. I, I heard just recently that the, the suicide hotline in Los Angeles is up 4,000% during the pandemic. That'll tell you something. You know, I, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking politics here for a minute. I'm talking humanity, right? That's what I'm talking about. Put the politics aside. Just We know from the prison system that a very effective punishment is called what? Isolation, right? <laughs> That's a way of punishing people. For misdemeanors behind bars. We, and, and we know that it's devastating to the human soul. So we ought to be cautious. The Bible says, and what's interesting is this, he who isolates himself. Sometimes it's an internal choice that we make to pull back. We're raging against wisdom when we do. See, here's the deal. Even in the midst of a pandemic, you don't have to give in to isolation. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people joining us online right here, right now who are choosing not to be isolated, right? In fact, let's give them a round of applause. We love that you're here. I love that you're part of a church that invests in the technology and the volunteers to make church online an awesome experience. So you, it doesn't have to be a, I'm connected or I'm disconnected, but you can be in relationship, you can be in discipleship, you can be vitally connected in community, even if for whatever reason you can't join us in person just yet. Well, amen to that. Can we give it up for the church online team? Woo! We need each other. We need each other. Number two, community strengthens and protects us. So not only is community the essence of what the church is supposed to be all about, but community will strengthen and protect us. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on, toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's that phrase again. You see it again? One another, one another. Spur one another on. That's what we're doing here today. Whether you're in the room or joining us online, we're trying to spur you on toward love and good deeds. He says, we can encourage one another. That's what we were doing. Prayer requests, praise reports. We're gonna encourage, man, if God can do it for them, they can, he can do it for me. We're encouraging one another. And then in the middle of those statements, he says, not giving up meeting together. Meeting together is key. I thank God we live in a day when it's possible to meet together over technology too, but man, let's not get isolated. In this moment, let's not get isolated because honestly, I don't know how people do it without community. I mean, I really don't. I mean, it hasn't been hard enough with community, let alone without, I don't know how people do it <laughs> without community. You know, I got, a, I got a place where I go for community. It's called The Refuge. It's, a, it's really like a retreat for pastors and leaders. And uh, it's out in Montana and I was hosting a, a group in, uh, in Montana this year. Time, you know, it's really for pastors to get away and be refreshed and be able to let their guard down and talk about what's going on and encourage each other and ultimately stay in the race, right? Pastors need community too. And on this most recent trip, I was praying for the group one morning. I was gonna share around the campfire that night, just a little word of encouragement. And I, I came, you know, you're studying Galatians right now. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. 
So around the fire that night, we just said, hey, like, what's burdening you right now? And as I shared it, I had this thought as I prayed for the guys that morning. I was thinking about the mystery of this, sharing each other's burdens. I thought back to times in my life when I've really been going through it. I got the weight of the world on my shoulders. And, and if I was to call Pastor Jason and say, hey, man, here's what's going on right now. I've got to be honest with you. I'm discouraged. And, you know, I, just, I, pour, I pour out my burdens, whatever's going on in whatever sphere of life. Well, you, you know, because you've probably done this one time, at least in your life, how it feels at the end, like that weight comes off your shoulders. And it's a weird thing because it's not necessarily like the circumstances change, but the weight isn't the same. Your perspective has changed. Maybe it's just knowing I'm not alone or he's praying for me or they've got my back. Suddenly it's like, that thing feels lighter. But here's the mystery to me. I started thinking that day about what's it like for Pastor Jason though? It's not like I just transferred all that weight on you. Now he's despondent, <laughs> you know, dragging around. no. What's mysterious about that to me is even though the, the weight is lighter for me, it's not proportionately heavier for him. It doesn't become the burden to him that it had been to me. And he might be able to do the same thing in the same conversation. Well, while we're at it, here's what I'm going through. And the mystery is we have this exchange and we both walk away with our burdens lighter, able to follow him, shoulders back, catch a breath again. We need each other. This is how community protects us and strengthens us. Ecclesiastes 4 puts it this way. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other to succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people... Lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone, there's that word again, alone, can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So don't fall down alone. Don't get cold alone. Don't get in a fight alone. That's what the Bible's saying. We've got to do this thing together, amen? Community strengthens and protects us. Number three, Community fosters unity. For me, it's no coincidence that the word unity is inside the word community. But I think the thing is, we don't understand sometimes how community actually works and how we get there. My favorite verse on community is Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Well, amen to that. But I think unity might be one of the most misunderstood concepts that we have in the kingdom today because real community with real unity actually takes work. It takes reconciliation. It takes forgiveness. It takes healing for us to have real community with real unity. Let me give you an example. There's different aspects of unity, but one that we've walked through in our church in New York this year has been racial reconciliation. So let me just point out the obvious. I am white and Australian, but what you might not know is I pastor a deeply multi-ethnic church in the heart of New York City, 67 nations. So with the year that has been, how am I going to approach a call for unity? Well, one path is I do some version of, can't we all just get along? <laughs> Do you think, how do you think that would have gone down in New York this year? It's like, <laughs> I could have done some version of that, right? 
Or, or I could have said one of those kind of cliches like, oh, I don't see color. But you know, what I've realized this year is we've pressed into the healing that is needed in the heart of our church and in the heart of our nation. Legitimate healing, legitimate pain. Is that as I've walked through these conversations, I, I decided I'm gonna do a series of interviews. I call them Conversations for Change. And I got people from different walks of life, people of color in our church, leaders and pastors that I respected. And I asked questions, I learned. And one of the things that I learned is this, is that real unity embraces diversity. We had some hard conversations this year. I learned some hard truths this year, but you know what we found on the other side that was beautiful? Was instead of some faux unity, which pretends we're all the same and glosses over the differences as if they don't matter. Instead of, instead of pursuing some kind of uniformity where we all look the same, think the same, as if, anyone just fast forwarded to the end? Is heaven gonna be homogenous? Not so much. Uh, a multitude before me that none could count from every tribe, every tongue. Yeah, heaven's gonna be super diverse, everybody. So I decided, you know what we need to figure out is we need to press into the differences. I need to learn about the differences. Instead of, I need to get over my discomfort and my, oh, I'm uncertain. This is weird for me. This is hard for me. I need to get through all of that to a place where I could hear the differences and then learn to appreciate the differences. Because you know why unity is stronger than uniformity? Because unity, true, Christ-centered, reconciliation-based Unity takes all those beautiful differences and brings them together under the one mighty name of Jesus. It doesn't ignore the differences, it celebrates them. All the world of difference. See, 11, uh, Luke eleven seventeen says, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say it's gonna require some hard conversations. And when we love to quote Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Sounds great, until you get sharpened. <laughs> Everybody loves feedback until they're getting feedback, right? <laughs> Is it just me? I mean, right? When you sharpen iron, sparks fly. But the other side of it is absolutely worth it. Amen, let me give you one more, one more. Community requires care. Community is a living thing. And like any living thing, community requires care. It's, it's important for us to remember, like I said earlier, the church is not a building. It can have buildings, that's fine. Church is not an organization. It's good for it to be organized, but it's not what the church is. Church is a people, not a place. The church is a body, not a building. The church is a movement, not a monument. And so Hebrews 10, I read it earlier, Hebrews 10, 25, listen to it in the New Living Translation. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not neglect. I got to thinking about that word neglect. That's a heavy word, right? If you neglect a pet, if you neglect a child, there's gonna be consequences, right? Neglect. So I found myself pondering, am I neglecting my community? of faith. And when I think of neglect, I think this, you're supposed to provide, you're supposed to protect, you're supposed to feed and nurture. There's some sense of responsibility that you've abdicated towards another living thing. I think we can ask ourselves about our posture towards our community in that way. It's a loaded word, isn't it? And ask myself, 
well, am I still being generous with my time, with my talent, with my treasure? Am I? Or am I, am I neglecting my community in some way? I mean, it's been a big year for the world, for the body of Christ. And, you know, I'm pastoring in New York City in the midst of a pandemic. We're getting hammered up there. <laughs> so I don't think there's a church in the nation right now that hasn't had to pivot and adapt and take hits. But as I was praying this summer for our church and just, God, give us wisdom and wisdom and faith together as we walk this thing out. God, how do I lead rightly in this moment? The Holy Spirit reminded me uh, years ago when I broke my leg. And uh, I wish I could tell you I broke my leg on a snowboarding trip. Well, it was on a snowboarding trip, but it would mis mislead you somewhat because it would sound glorious when what actually happened was we took a lunch break in a children's playground and I slipped on ice and kicked a wall and sp spiral fractured both bones in two places. It was horrific on a snowboarding trip. Ah. So I end up with this full leg cast on. I'm on crutches for months. I'm newly engaged at the time, so that's you know, super attractive. Especially those hospital gowns that don't go all the way around. <clears throat> she still married me, so God's good. Um, but I remember when the day came, freedom, I'm going to get the cast taken off. Two things stood out to me. The worship team, you guys can come. <laughs> I remember two things very distinctly. One is when the cast came off, I mean, he must have been able to just tell by my face. The doctor could, could tell I thought something was terribly wrong because I looked down and the leg that had a cast on was like a stick. <laughs> I mean, you can tell I've already got kind of skinny legs and they're pasty white too, but it was terrible. I, was like, I looked at my leg and I was like, <gasps> like, it's like really bad. Like, what's wrong? I'm never going to wear shorts again is what I was thinking. And he says to me, it's okay, it's okay, it's atrophy. I'm like, okay, talk me through it. He's like, well, the muscles have withered, they've atrophied from disuse. But he's like, they'll come right back if you just use the muscle again. Okay. And then he said, all right, I want you to stand up. And stood without crutches or the cast on for a little while. And when I stood up, I just I winced a little bit in pain. There was like a little, little discomfort in my leg. I said, I don't know, I don't know if I'm actually like ready just yet. I might need the crutches a bit longer. I said, I, I feel some discomfort. I felt a little pain when I stood up. You know what he said to me? I didn't know this. He said, That's how the body knows it needs to heal the bone. He said, actually, ironically, if you stay off it, it won't heal properly. He said, You're gonna need to push through a little discomfort. And actually, if you will, at the end, the body will make that the strongest part of the bone. <laughs> Ironically, the thing that had been broken will be the strongest at the end. Now, why do I bring this up, church? Because I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about the well. I'm thinking about what God is doing in your life right now. It's because for many of us, we've experienced a little atrophy and we need to start using those muscles again. I need to serve again. I need to worship again. I need to disciple again. I need to press into Jesus again. Not just give in to the atrophy. Not just give in to the less, to the disconnect, to the isolation. And he talked to me about good pain. I, you know, sometimes there's a little discomfort we've got to press through in the beginning, right? Doing something unfamiliar. I've gotten out of habits and routines and certain places and people. And, and I believe that God is calling us as a people again right now to see the body of Christ come together heal like never before, stronger than ever, ever before. Because listen, community is a choice. And it's a choice we need to keep on making. As I get ready to pray, it's what Ephesians 4 says, last scripture. Reminded me of you when I read this. True. 
says He makes the whole body, we're talking about the church here, the body of Christ, fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know what this means? All of us have a part to play. It's kind of sad that in a lot of the Christian world, we get the idea that you're supposed to pay a few professionals to care for everybody. It's not the way the body is actually designed. Actually, Ephesians 4 says it's the equipping of the saints, you, for the work of the ministry, right? It's going to be built up. It's going to grow. It's going to be in love. Listen, as each part does its own special work, we've all got a part to play. I love this phrase. It says the body of Christ will be healthy, growing, and full of love. That sounds awesome. Healthy, growing, and full of love. That sounds like a community I want to be a part of. Sounds like the vision of the well to me. Healthy, growing, full of love. It's ours to build. Amen. It's yours to build. Let me, let me pray for you today. If you want to.